be doing well. Uh, so just a brief reminder of the historical context of Hosea, as we go to Hosea 10, we've been a while since we've delved into Hosea. So yeah, after the death of David's son Solomon, Robia, his son, succeeded him. And he had bad advice from his young counsellors, if you remember the story. And they increased the workload on the people. Jeroboam leads a revolt uh, and becomes the first king of the northern kingdom. We're entering to the period called the divided kingdom, where you've got a split away from the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. So mainly the tribes of Judah and Benjamin form the southern kingdom and the remaining ten kingdoms are the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom, uh, I'd sort of refer to as Israel or Ephraim, and the southern kingdom as Judah. So the... Kings and Chronicles has a lot more of the full story of, of this in it, uh, but this is in the first of the 12 prophetical books, uh, is Hosea, so we're reading from there. Basically, the Northern Kingdom had a worse cycle of bad king, good king, more like bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, <laughs> bad king, bad king. Uh, and the southern kingdom had a lot more of the better kings with them. And I think that's partly because of the name. I love the story of, of Leah. She actually was the mother of six of the twelve sons of Jacob who became Israel. So Reuben, her first son, was called her son is the meaning of the name Reuben. And what she was actually saying was, see my husband as, I've given my husband a son, and so now he will respect me, now he will love me. And then that didn't work, but she then had Simeon, the second son. And Simeon means heard, which means the Lord has heard that I am hated, and so he's given me a second son. And then her third son, Levi, is attached. Now my husband will become attached to me because I've given him three sons, which is great value in the uh, nation of Israel, really. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's the lot of value in having sons. Still, her husband doesn't respect her. So by the time her fourth son comes along, she names him Judah, which means praise. And so what she's saying is, now I will praise the Lord. So there's a difference to Judah, that it's directed to God again. And I think that's a key to our lives, and a key to why the tribe of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom, uh, sorry, the southern kingdom, have done so much better. When your kingdom is called Judah, it's called praise, and you know that that's praise of the God, uh, then it's a constant reminder of you to approach him. And of course we know that, you know, David and Jesus came through the tribe of Judah. 
So previously we've heard in Hosea uh, that it's a prophetic book and it's about the problems of comparing a wife who is a prostitute to how they should live. And it's about prophesying of the Assyrian and Bab Babylonian captivity where the people are taken away into captivity because of their, their sins and they need um, restitution. So Hosea takes a prostitute, Goma, as his wife, under direction of, of God, which is sort of like, really, Lord, is that really you speaking? I mean, you can't imagine it, can you? Uh, but he, take, he takes a prostitute as a wife and has three children with him. Uh, Jezreel is, is a, named after an event that happened where Naboth was married was murdered, sorry, because they wanted to steal his vineyard, the people who serve in the Baals. Naboth was a good um, person who served the Lord, but they wanted to steal his vineyard, so they killed him. So it's the blood of Jezreel, because that's the area that his vineyard was in. And so it's reminding the people of this huge sin. The second child was called No Mercy, because if you don't follow the Lord and you are the people of Israel, you are God's holy people, God won't have mercy on you because you've walked away from him. But that's not actually the story of the book. The book is about mercy. But if you continue to walk away, then you, know, you suffer the consequences of that. And then the third child is not my people. And they are his people, because they're Israel, they're named after him. They are the people of God. But because you do not follow me, you are not my people. So it's a warning here within the three, three children that um, you need to follow God. You need to push into him. And then we have the story of Goma carrying on, that she continues to be returns to prostitution, uh, there's a divorce that happens. But then God does this amazing thing where he redeems, he wants Hosea to go and redeem her, not just get her back as a wife, but he has to pay the full price for her because she's now been sold into uh, slavery because of her desires. And he has to go and call her back. And this is all relating to Israel's relationship with, uh, with their God, that they have fallen away. They have been playing the harlot. And it's sort of related to Israel out of Egypt, where they're in slavery to their, because of their sins and because they've fallen apart and stuff like that. But God calls them out and he chooses to call them out and... Here, Goma is redeemed by Hosea and bought back, bought back with a full price. I've just got this strange vision of a, of a washing machine that breaks down. It's been giving you trouble for years and years on end. 
and it breaks down and it rattles about. It does the washing machine dance where it what comes out of position and bits are falling off of it and it leaks water all over the place. And so you get rid of it and then someone picks it up and they renew it and they repair it. And then you rebuy it but you don't buy it for a discounted price. You buy it for the full price. And so you're sort of redeeming this washing machine. And just imagine having that washing machine back in your house and you're thinking it's going to fall away and it's going to do the same things again. But you pay full price for it and you just buy it anyway. And it's a, it's a picture of what God does for us because we fall away all the time and yet he paid the full price and he continues to pay the full price only once but it's an eternal thing that Jesus paid on the cross so I find that Hosea writes with passion and pathos and the passion and the metaphors to describe uh, Yahweh are just astounding he calls him a, a leopard a lion, a bear, an eagle, also a husband, a loving parent, a green pine tree. And while Israel sins, he's described as an adulterous wife, a stubborn heifer, a snare, a heated oven, half-baked bread, a senseless dove, a headless stork, a baby refusing to birth, and Israel is thought of as like a mist, a dew, chaff, smoke, things that just wisp away. And she has been sown. She has sown the wind and will reap the whirlwind. The figurative language shows a poetic, emotional plea from God through Hosea. So commentators are split on the transition from adultery, uh, unrepentance, uh, to Job, on the judgment motif of God, to God's love for Israel. Uh, most commentators sort of put it as chapter 11, which there is some things, reasons for that, uh, while others put it at 10. Um, I'm going to go for 10 at the moment because that's the... I'm doing and I really love the way that this passage starts with Israel isn't it uh, a lux, luxuriant vine that yields its fruit because we see this beautiful language of, of the luxuriant fruit that the prosperity that God has had with giving people this beautiful land in Israel and we've got this issue with um, Israel at the time, that they've got this prolonged peace and prosperity that they've got. And what you do in those, those times where you've got prolonged peace, and what Israel tended to do and what they did at this time was, uh, as it continues in verse 1, the more his fruit increased, the more altars he built and his country improved. He improved its pillars. The pillars here are talking about 
like totem poles and poles that are put up, standing stones that are put up to Baal and stuff like that. So he's, Israel's got more money and they're putting up things that are serving the Baals, which, you know, that's caused them problems. And the significance of the, the land that they've got is an abundant land, as we saw when they come in, in Deuteronomy. It was Deuteronomy 8. It's a land of promise. It's a land of great things. Uh, Deuteronomy 8. So you shall keep my commands of the Lord your God by walking his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God brings you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountain springs, flowing out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, a van, land of vines and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land which you will eat the bread, bread without scarcity, which you will lack nothing, a land where stones are iron, and out of the hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall be blessed of the Lord your God, for the land is a good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules and his statutes which I command you today, lest you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. Then you shall lift up your hearts, and you shall forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So Israel has been given warnings in Deuteronomy, and throughout the Old Testament there's warnings of, of come to the Lord and be good, and, and you will get those, the generosity. Because it is a land that is just got great prosperity. And in Hosea 9, 10, it talks about, like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruits on the fig tree in its season. So even out of the wilderness, we've got this picture of this luxuriant vine, of how plentiful the land is. And it, it does it out of the wilderness. It just is a natural thing. But we see that, that Israel has fallen away and chose to chase after false gods, as was illustrated with Gomer. We go to verse 4 in chapter 10. They utter mere words and empty oaths, and they make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous wheels in the furrows of the field. Now, the weeds here that spring up, poisonous weeds, uh, are identified as the term wash in the Hebrew, and may refer to Assyrian scabosis, which is a, has poisonous seeds, uh, and, but the flowers are like the purple one. 
Now, shallow planting helps these weeds grow because their, root weeds are, their roots go deep. And so if you just harvest and cut off at the top or plant shallow, the, the, the roots are beneath where you're planting, where you're following. So, where it talks about there's no depth to your words and no reality to seek God because they have worked okay stop that I'll have to One, two, three. So in verse 11, 12, we have a comparison to the, to the planting of seeds. So there's a comparison to this in, in verses 11 and 12. Judah must plough, Jacob must harrow for himself, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is a time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. So as we see, we, it says Judah must plough and Jacob must harrow for himself. So if you sow, sow for yourself, if you plough for yourself, if you use, if you do it yourself, it is a solo effort, you need to go in and break up the ground. It is, you don't know that it's, it's done unless you do it. And you have to put your hand to the plough. It is about Jacob must harrow for himself. So it means we must harrow for ourselves. We must put our hand to the plough and seek out what God wants for us. Because we don't know how deep the plough needs to go. Or nobody else knows how deep the plough must go. So if we're in control of it, we know what is turned over, what scriptures mean to us as we do it. And I think Paul in his second letter to Timothy in one verse chapter one, six, seven, puts it another way. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Because we're supposed to stir up the gift that is in us. Just as we've got a good, they had a good land in Israel. The soil was good. It was good for producing the grapes. It was good for producing great things. There's 
coppering in the hills. You know, it's a good land. There's good within us. But we need to stir up the gift of God that is within us. It is about us putting a hand to the plough. So it's sort of like, what modern altars do we set up? I mean, we're an affluent country. What sort of altars do we set up? And we've all got things that we do. We've, we, we've got internet, we've got all sorts of things that are going on in our lives. We've got transport, we've got, we have got washing machines, we've got things that make our lives easier. We've got our things that make our lives better. But we need to set that time aside to go into the word of God. Set patterns in our lives, whether it's first thing in the morning or uh, as we go to bed, or, or both. We need to just remember God. And at mealtimes, it's always a good discipline to just thank the Lord for what he's put before us. Uh, and the, So we need to be true to the promise of the God. And wait for the truck to go by. Are we true to what we promised to the Lord? I would suggest not. At least I'm aware of my own imperfections. But for the sake of living for Christ, I press on. And that's what it is. It's although we do bad. God is always there for us. God sends redemption for us. And we're, we're not anything like as bad as Gomer was, I'm sure. But if we are, we know that God just reaches out to us. I think we're rich in this country and we could use uh, Hosea's language. Australia is a luxuriant vine that yields fruit. And at times we may struggle financially, emotionally, spiritually and physically. But we are a luxuriant vine. We still have comfortable homes and food in our cupboards. People in our lives and praying for us as we are praying for others, as is our discipline, as being people who, who love God. We have a freedom to worship and pray for others and, a and have a capable health service. So, we have, in Australia, a luxuriant vine. We've got it really good. And at the moment, we've been shut down because of COVID and stuff. There's been restrictions and stuff. The government are putting funds out to us, which is amazing. This wouldn't have happened any other time in history. It was sort of like we had to shut the country down. We had to lock you in your homes because of cholera or whatever. And there's no finance, but we're being looked after. Australia is a luxuriant vine. And what's more, you are a luxuriant vine. Because God swells up in your hearts too. God has put his great love in you. 
jivāma lakshana nirvāna. And what's the keys to living that life of that luxuriant vine? It's Judah. It's praise. It's approaching God in praise. To know that you are a people of praise. To know that you are the people who God has set apart. And part of your praise is not living your lives for yourself. It's living it for others. It's remembering others in prayer. It's doing whatever we can uh, to help people, to be there for people, uh, to phone them up, to give a message to them in our everyday lives. Because our faith grows because we are active and living in people's lives. It is that relationship Jesus came down to be in people's lives. He went up to heaven to send the Holy Spirit to be in our lives, to be an active part of our lives, to be that depth within us that we can mine and we can plough and we can pull up and we can stir up in our lives. I'll just finish in a word of prayer if I can. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you for your, uh, your servant, Isaiah, who did remarkable things in our lives, in his life, Lord God. You chose, chose him to make such a vivid example of your love for your people that you will do almost for whatever they do. There may be times that... that, that you need to withdraw from us and we need to learn lessons um, and we just remember that suffering is a time for praise Lord it is a time that God cares enough for us to let us go through things but we just thank you Father God that you have given that good soil within us Lord the good soil of your spirit that we may plough it up, we may stir it up we may live in that peace that you've given us, that joy that you've given us that's not mere happiness. It's joy that, that lasts through the good and the bad things that we can just stop and relax in that. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>